again. It was like. Okay, uh, okay. Well, well, well. I'm back in this chair that spins around with makeup on my face, love in my cooter, and a story to tell. It's been over a year since I said goodbye last week on my podcast, and. I lied because I said I would see you next week, and then I didn't. Unless you listened to my podcast the following week, in which case I kind of did. Or if you saw one of my shows that following week. But Okay, but either way, that is not how it happened, and I do have some explaining to do. In all reality, it really was much-needed time to myself. I needed to make myself comfortable in my home, comfortable after the big move, comfortable in my drag career. I went out into the Palm Springs drag scene and did a lot of gigs, booked around a lot, found what bars I liked, found what bars I didn't like, did all of the important things that I needed to do, and it did take a lot of time, and it did take a lot of effort, and there would have been no way for me, wow, this hair is annoying, and it would have been literally impossible for me to deliver the content that's quality enough and that I know I can do well at with everything else that was going on. So I really wanted to give myself space so that I knew I could put 100% into this, and now I know I can do that. So that's why I'm back at this desk, and that's why there's a new episode of Murder's a Drag. Just know, it will always be around. No matter how long of a break I might take, there'll always be a new episode one day. It'll happen. It'll, there'll always be something. I do feel a lot better with my career. I've met a lot of amazing people in Palm Springs. I've met a lot of amazing people in San Diego. I do feel like my career is more established than it ever has been. I finally had like my first big city gay bar experiences since turning 21 because the pandemic happened like four months after that. You were all there. You remember. It was wild. I also, I'm only very briefly going to speak about it. I don't want to cry and ruin my makeup and everything, but I did lose uh, another drag sister very suddenly, very tragically. She did the same thing as me actually on YouTube. It was more mystery focused and wasn't necessarily just LGBT true crime. But regardless, I knew that doing this would be difficult to come back to this because I'm inherently always going to think of her when I do this. Not that I don't already every day all the time, but this specifically is going to make me, you know, think about it a little bit more. It'll be heavier on my mind and I needed time to heal and take some space and there a lot happened. A lot did happen. So moving on, I'm back to doing what I do best, doing drag, procrastinating, smoking weed, doing all of the things that I do, you know, not a whole lot. This week, I've decided to cover a case that I was reading about before I took my incognito liaison journey. That didn't, that's, those three words have nothing to do with each other. That didn't make any sense. I'm sorry. That might be the episode title though. Anyway, the case that I wanted to discuss this week had a lot of misinformation about it when it went viral on TikTok. And it really grabbed my attention because the victim got no attention out of all of this. Nobody still told his story. And like you guys know, that's kind of my whole purpose. Jason Fox was a 19-year-old teen living in Newport, Washington. He had just graduated from high school and planned on becoming a nurse when he was murdered by five monstrous men. Like I said, the story really got my attention because it showed me how social media can get attention to these cases, but sometimes it just goes in the complete opposite direction and doesn't help because it's either misinformation or these sensationalized headlines that aren't doing justice for the victim or their family 
or even attempting to bring any of the murderers to justice. But before I get ahead of myself, I'm going to do like I do with all things and start from the beginning. Jason Michael Fox was born April 3rd, 2001 in Oroville, California. He was born into a very loving family. His mom and his dad were very happy to have this baby. He was a super smiley, laughy baby, very bubbly and exuberant from a very young age. In elementary school, he started performing at the Missoula Children's Theater. And like most gays at a young age, was good at it and showed a propensity for doing that type A personality thing. Jason became really attached to extracurriculars And I feel like that is a 100% like LGBT outcast kind of a thing to do because the way I see it, an extracurricular activity like theater or sports is automatic friends because you're already taking out 50% of the work of having to find common ground in something to talk about or find a reason to actually hang out with each other. When it comes to theater, you can go like run lines with somebody at a coffee shop or it's just it's a good way to make friends to do extracurriculars for people who struggle to make friends normally like i can't just walk up to somebody and be like hey you are cool do you want to hang out like I, I i don't know that's weird to me i can't do that i need to have some sort of common ground guaranteed so that i can start a conversation and make a friend as he got older jason really started to tune into that athletic side And he joined a wrestling team and a football team and was also really good at that. He was a very muscly, big-built kind of guy back then and was very good at taking people down. That's for goddamn sure. (laughs) He was very intelligent, very cunning, very cutting linguist. Um... I'm going to make a great father one day. He was really into chess, which makes me exclusively think of The Queen's Gambit now. And I've never actually seen the show. I've only seen the like title sequence. And even then, I don't know if I've actually seen the real title sequence or just like parodies on SNL. But that's what I think of when I think of chess. Basically like castle porn, you know, all in titties in a castle kind of thing. Jason would also volunteer a lot of his time at a local long-term care facility because he just really liked to be around people to hear stories, tell stories. He had a really good heart and wanted to help people. He was an empath through and through. From what I can gather, Jason was definitely really close with his family. His parents were super accepting of him when he came out as bisexual. And according to an article on out.com, he had come out as gay, but told people he was bi to try and gain more acceptance. I did the same thing. When I came out in a small town, it didn't work bisexual isn't any better to people who aren't gonna be very happy than gay is like they were just as angry and then when i came out as gay they were like we knew that already because they also didn't think that being bisexual was a thing because (laughs) backwoods kind of thing Uh, yeah not to discourage anybody from coming out as bisexual and then gay if that's the route that you want to take or what have you my experience a long time ago in rural north carolina was that it didn't help anyway Jason's parents, Pepper and Michael Fox, separated when Jason was a little bit younger, and Jason moved to more rural Newport, Washington with his dad while his mom, Pepper, moved up to the Seattle, Washington area. There's definitely no doubt that Jason knew he had a safe space at home with his parents and with his siblings. They made it clear that they loved him no matter what, and Jason's father was even quoted saying in a KHQQ6 article... Quote, the sad part is, I was beginning to feel like he was finally getting in touch with who he was, and he was comfortable with himself. 
He had finally admitted it to us a long time ago. The only thing we can say is we've known for a long time. It doesn't matter at all, son. It's best for your mental health that you're not hiding this, but it matters not to us. Very accepting, very loving. And I, I believe that. I believe that that really is how it went down. Jason had kind of a tough time making friends. Not making friends. He made friends very easily, but he had a tough time not being hurt with friends. He was very sensitive because he was an empath. And peer pressure being applied to not only an empath, but a marginalized empath is like the worst thing because there's virtually no way to fend off that peer pressure when your gut instinct as an empath, as a marginalized person, is to just fit in at all costs and make sure that everybody else is happy. Even if that's making jokes at your expense or treating you like shit, you'll still hang out with those people because you know that them treating you like shit makes them happy. Air quotes. Happy. Weird coping, I guess. Jason was definitely no exception to that phenomenon and friended a group of five individuals. Claude Merritt, Matthew Raditz Freeman, Riley Hillestad, Kevin Belding, and Sean Bella were some of the friends, more auditory air quotes, that Jason had made living in Newport. There was apparently some sort of a petty drama that had arisen in the group. I read in an article on Out.com that after Jason's phone was subpoenaed, they found nude photos of some of the men I just mentioned, and other nude photos pretty much accounting for all of the men, but some of them didn't have faces in them and couldn't be positively identified. And then, based on these Facebook messages that I'm going to get into in a little bit, their side, murderer side of the story, is that Jason was talking shit, and they they didn't ever specify what he was saying that would make them so angry. So I'm going to believe the, the nude photo thing and say that that's what was going on in this situation. Regardless of what it was, there became this drama and Jason was scared to hang out with certain people in the group because he knew that all they wanted to do was beat him up. There are these Facebook messages that Jason's mom posted on a Facebook group made for Jason after he disappeared between Jason and a woman named Ashley Shelgren, who's Sean Bella's fiance, one of the five men that Jason had befriended. He'd also befriended one of their fiancés. And in August of 2020, after an incident where Jason was chased and harassed by the group, he's quoted messaging Ashley, I'll be at JR's if you decide to help me understand what the fuck is going on. Because I was hiding in a bush, terrified. They were yelling all kinds of shit, like they were going to kill me. And at one point, they drove past right where I was hiding. And it's just very confusing and fucked up situation yet again. Ashley responded and immediately turned the gaslighting on. Told him he was overreacting, he had nothing to worry about, and that he needed to just get his ass beat and take it like a man. More auditory air quotes yet again. Just being very toxic in response to somebody who just had his life threatened. Matthew responded to that text with a horrifying answer, saying, quote, You didn't hear what they were screaming. You don't know what they would have done. Matthew fully intends to kill me one day. Jason knew his life was in danger from this specific group of people and had been vocalizing that, and yet was still being gaslit by the same people who were actively putting his life in danger. Ashley keeps sending him messages telling him to be a man, get his man up and get his ass beat, and tells him, quote, but in the end, we just want you to learn to keep your mouth shut. I don't understand why that is so important if it's not, like I said earlier, 
Jason responded later saying, I'd rather you man the fuck up and show up here without that gun and face me fair and square. Now we're bringing guns into this. So Ashley's showing up at Jason's, threatening him with guns, threatening his life, and still gaslighting him and trying to tell him that he's overreacting to the situation. And all they want to do is beat him up and let it be fair and square. All right, I know that was a lot of messages, but there was obviously important information in there, and that's really the only way to get the full scope of the story. So the next month, on September 14th, 2020, just after midnight, Jason sends a text to a person that lives with his aunt, telling the person he was invited to a party, but he's a little bit scared of the people who were there, and sends the address just in case anything happens. Later, in messages between Jason and Claude, he asks if Riley Hillstad's going to be there because of all of the drama that's been going on. He doesn't want to see him. He doesn't want to interact. And he asks Claude if he's going to be there. And Claude says no and keeps inviting him, telling him that he needs to come to this party. So Jason finally agrees and goes to a party at 22 Jurgens Road in Newport, Washington. And when he arrives, he's confronted with a full party of people who mean to do him harm. Court documents indicate that Jason was brought into a garage on the property and tied to a chair where the group began beating him. The group includes Claude Merritt, Riley Hillestad, and Matthew Raditz Freeman. They beat him until he was unconscious, and when he would wake up, they would repeat the process. Meanwhile, Ashley Shelgren, Kevin Belding, Sean Bella, and two other female partygoers were in the house letting all of this happen in the garage. This part of the story gets a little bit blurry because this is when shit really hits the fan and people's stories start to chop up and it's he said, she said, and they're all blaming each other. Jason was taken from the garage and his hands were bound behind his back. He was put into the back of a side-by-side, one of those four-wheelers with two seats in them, where he was continuously beat and driven out to a remote corner in the south of the property. Everyone's stories include hearing a few things happen at this point. A skid steer, which is one of those big scoop trucks for digging and excavating, started up. Jason's car was driven away and the side-by-side was driven into the woods. The next morning, after he didn't show up at home, Jason's mom reported him missing. And two days later, the police were able to trace Jason's phone directly to 22 Jurgens Road, where that party was happening. They questioned everybody who lived at the property, which was three of the five men, and all three of them said that they hadn't seen Jason in over a month, but their stories didn't quite match, and they were all fucking terrible liars. Kevin Belding was contacted separately because he didn't live there, and when he was asked about Jason, he said that he may be in Montana, and that's all he knew, and that he also hadn't spoken to him in over a month. On September 22nd, Jason's car was found in Montana, and on October 4th, 2020, a probable cause warrant was issued to search the 22 Jurgens Road property, and police were led to the back corner by cadaver dogs or somebody. They weren't led there by the people because they still weren't fessing up to anything, where under three or four feet of dirt, they found Jason's body. Medical examiners determined that his cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. Obviously, Jason's family is devastated. They want answers. There's been search parties looking for him. They have no idea how this could have happened and how he ended up buried at at the party at Jurgens Road. News of the initial disappearance before they found his body was given very limited news coverage. 
Nobody was really willing to help. There were a few paper signs around town that said justice for Jason. The family member who had gotten the text, or the person who was staying with the aunt who had gotten the text, knew that something bad had happened based on the text that they had gotten from Jason in case anything happened. That kind of led them to believe that something bad had happened. Yet still, nobody helped them to begin with. And then Jason's body's found, and there's some news coverage, but still nothing major. A memorial was put up for Jason, surrounded with flowers, and was almost immediately vandalized with homophobic slurs. Like I said, the family was desperate for answers, even more so after they got into Jason's phone and saw all of those Facebook messages and the fact that he had been threatened with guns and all of this stuff that they didn't know. Jason didn't want to worry them or whatever the case was. They wanted answers. So Jason's mom, Pepper, took to TikTok. Under the username at PepperFox3, she began posting cries for help, begging for answers, anybody who was at the party, anybody who knew anything. On November 7th, police went back to the property to follow up with Hillstad, Raditz Freeman, Merritt, and Belding. None of their stories still made any sense. And quite notably, Riley Hillestad showed up to his interview with an AK-47, a ballistic vest, tear gas grenades. He was armed to the T's and claiming he knew nothing and stating his rights and doing the whole white supremacist bullshit. And considering none of their stories made sense, all of the men were arrested two days later. All five men. This would feel like the end, but it's not. It's really not the end of the story. Not even close. This is the point where Pepper's TikTok videos go viral. She's already gotten a good bit of views. It's gotten her some attention. But at this point, it skyrockets to people who have 30 million followers sharing the story to the point where it has like 1 billion views on the hashtag. With all of the new pressure, pretty much from TikTok, all of the men were charged. All five of them were charged with first and second degree murder, with the trials beginning right at the beginning of this year, because all of this just happened. Very recent case. Really sounds a lot like Matt Shepard, which was in the 90s, but here we are in 2021. Nope, it's 2022, and this shit's still happening. It's wild. Kevin Belding was convicted of only providing false or misleading statements to law enforcement and failure to notify a coroner because... There's not enough evidence to charge him or some of the other people with murder based on the fact that they weren't in the room, they weren't throwing punches, whatever the fuck the case is. But they're still not getting accessory after the fact. Accessory, I don't understand. There's more charges that could have been pushed that weren't pushed. And I feel like it's because they were impulse charged with first and second degree murder when most people know that that's never going to fly. You need to charge more specific charges that are actually going to stick and get these people prison time. Because Kevin was released in December of 2021, having the time served bullshit for the charges that he ended up getting charged with. So he's free now. And that just doesn't seem right to me. Claude Merritt was convicted and found guilty on all counts on January 13th, 2022. And he was facing life in prison. He was sentenced to only 28 years in prison. Again, a rushed trial, rushed everything. I don't, I don't understand. This is not a happy ending. Riley Hillestad was formally charged with nine different counts, but refused to show up to his first court date. And the sentencing for him is unclear. I don't really know what's going on with that. Matthew Raditz Freeman was also charged with all of those things. He's yet to be sentenced. And Sean Bella was arrested for making false or misleading statements to police. It's also kind of unclear what happened to him after the arrest. Although I'm sure he's free. I'm sure he's not actually in jail. 
And Ashley, in exchange for her testimony against Claude, was granted full immunity from anything being her fault. Even though she is also clearly an accessory. Like, this is not... Obviously, it's not a happy ending. There's a murder. But none of this is appropriate punishment for what happened to Jason Fox. And as frustrating as it is, that's where the case still stands today. There's not much closure to the family. There's just more questions. These videos on TikTok were claiming things like Jason was dismembered and trying to sensationalize things to get more views. And it just, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. It applied the wrong kind of pressure on the wrong kind of people. These charges were brought, and they were bogus. They were never going to stick. They were just quick impulse charges. And now two people, at least, out of this group are walking free while Jason is still murdered with very limited justice. And yeah, that's the frustrating case of the murder of Jason Fox. I hope if you get anything out of it, it's learning about his life and what it meant to him to help people. And maybe you go help somebody in his name. That's kind of all we can do in these frustrating situations. Well, me and my big wig are done for this week, but I have more research done and, and things ready to share with you and tell you. And I didn't do my makeup on this episode because I don't really think that that changes much. I think you like to look at my makeup for a little bit longer than just the last 30 seconds, so I may as well serve a look the whole time. It's like the goth Dolly Parton, baby. All right, I'm going to go have some dinner because it's dark outside. It's nighttime. If you can hear Mr. Cricket, then you can. And that's unfortunate because he's been making noise the whole time. It's like ASMR, though. You'll be fine. We'll all be fine. Go to my Instagram. Follow me at Drag at Aura Van Dank. Go watch my other episodes or listen to the other episodes if you haven't already done that in the past year and a half that you've had since I've been gone. Uh, yeah. Other than that, get into it. I'll see you next week.